Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Tim Haddon over at Alpha Tau. Thank you for coming along again for another episode. This is just uh, always off the cuff. Um, there's no pre-planned. There's no splicing and putting together. It's just straight to you from the office here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I want to talk briefly today uh, about an article that was written. Uh, you can find this article at alphatau.net, A-L-P-H-A-T-A-V as in Victor, .net. The original title of the article was, Please Stop Saying God Robed Himself in Flesh. Uh, it was changed to God did not robe himself in flesh. And part of the change was is I didn't want to be uh, too oppositional um, because I know that a lot of people use that phrase, myself included, uh, many times in the past. And, and, and the way that my brain works is... I categorize things kind of like in a filing cabinet of to study later. And every Christmas time when we discuss the incarnation and thank thanksgiving for the birth of Jesus Christ, I hear this phrase every single Christmas season. And it just so happened to be, uh, again, hearing it again, uh, I decided to just throw out there this article called God did not robe himself in flesh. And we're going to get into that in this episode. And I hope that it is a challenge to you, and I hope that you enjoy it. And maybe we all go deeper together. Okay, let's get started. All right. So, Let's take a look at this subject together. Uh, how many times have you, um, myself, others that you know, as oneness apostolic Pentecostals, how many times have you heard the phrase, God robed himself in flesh? Now, I, I knew that when I... Uh, put this out there, this article out there, I thought to myself, maybe I'm going to get a lot of negative opposition to this just because it's so commonly used. Uh, but I was actually, actually blown away by the positive response to the article. In fact, it's up there in like one of the top five shared and read articles on alphatal.net which really I was not expecting. Uh, I shared this with somebody close to me, and they felt like, you know, uh, not really a big deal. I see what you're saying. And I guess to the non-theological mind or to somebody that's not, you know, maybe cursed with analyzing and examining uh, every theological text or things we say, which really comes out of an effort for me to be a better teacher and a better preacher and for me to be a little bit more intellectually honest with the Scripture. 
I just, I cannot hear this phrase, God robed himself in the flesh, and not allow the dissonance of that phrase to kind of capture me in a way that I have to deal with it. And I was the first person that was a target of this of this statement. I challenged myself to no longer say this. And, and we won't take a long time to get into this, but when we make the statement, God robed himself in flesh, while I know that we do not intentionally mean to, in a sense, produce error or convolute truth or in any way um, create a dissonance when we talk about the incarnation of God becoming flesh, I want to present to you why this phrase is, in, in, in my opinion, and you're welcome to disagree with me, and I'm not attacking anybody. In fact, you know, go ahead and continue saying, robed himself in flesh. Uh, do I think that this is going to cause a widespread panic and false doctrine to take over? No. Um, am I aware that even great elders and preachers of the past, that this is a common phrase or statement used uh, by great men in the past. Yes, I'm aware of that. So I'm not attacking them, and I'm not attacking anybody that's used this phrase. I'm just, for the sake of theological clarity, I'm just presenting that I think that we need to stick to what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches and understand the nuance that's found in the phrase, God robed himself in the flesh. And so I'm going to explain to you briefly why I believe that this phrase is theologically inaccurate. So to start there, we need to go to John chapter 1, 14, which says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version in that. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version in that because I want you to notice the clarity by which it tells us the Word became flesh. That Greek word that is translated as became means to become. God did not merely indwell the body of man. God wasn't just a tenant like a renter renting a house. God wasn't just merely a tenant in the body of a man. But according to the doctrine of incarnation, we know that he became a man. And, and this is perhaps one of the most powerful aspects of the revelation of the incarnation of God. And, and I understand that it is a mind-numbingly difficult thing to comprehend. Even though it's true, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That is a tremendously difficult thing to comprehend, that the one true God became 
a man. He was 100% God, 100% man. But when we make the statement, God robed himself in the flesh, I believe that we are not merely just engaging in a semantical error, but a theological error. And why do I say this? Because to robe implies that God clothed himself with flesh, like somebody putting on a garment. It's like going to the closet, picking a garment, and putting on the garment. The Bible does not teach that God robed himself in flesh, but it tells us, according to Galatians 4.4, that he was, quote, made of a woman. And Hebrews 4.15 said, born of the flesh, yet without sin. And so what we got to understand is that when we say that God robed himself in flesh, the phrase robed in the flesh actually denies the union of deity and humanity that's realized in the incarnation. So we got to understand that the flesh of Christ was not a shell that the invisible God wrapped himself in, but the incarnation, when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us not God robed in a shell or putting on flesh like a garment, but God becoming humanity. He was both holy man and holy God, completely God-man. So I, I started doing some research. Where did the phrase, God robed in the flesh, originate? Now these are questions a lot of times I've realized that we do not ask ourselves. Um, for example, we talk a lot about the fivefold ministry, and I'm going to get into this in future episodes, but nobody says, well, where did that phrase originate? Where did the modern concept of the fivefold ministry originate? Because the Bible does not teach, quote-unquote, the phrase fivefold ministry. Where did it begin? Where did that phrase begin? And, and, and we'll get into that in the future, but I always like to examine the origin of a statement. And the earliest that I could find the idea of Jesus being God robed in the flesh, the earliest I could find is Athanasius, who in one of his writings called The Four Discourses Against the Arians, he wrote about Aaron, the high priest, putting on the garments of the high priest. And in that context, he says, quote, In the same way, it is possible in the Lord's instance also to understand aright that he did not become other than himself on taking the flesh, but being the same as before, he was robed in it. And the expressions he became and he was made must not be understood as if the word, considered as the word, were made, but that the word, being framer of all, afterwards was made high priest by putting on a body which was originate and made, and such as he can offer for us, wherefore he is said to be made. 
So the earliest I could find was Athanasius in his four discourses against the Arians. But I think it's important to understand that the Spirit of God did not dress up with the flesh of man. But God became fully man without losing his full godness. He was 100% man, 100% God. And that had to be the case because God as flesh, God as man, the incarnation, was meant to bring our sin to a place of execution so that all of us could have hope because through the death of the first man, Adam, we were born into spiritual death. And so the, the hope of humanity rests upon God becoming flesh, yet without sin. And so when we understand this, God did not robe himself in the flesh, but he became flesh. Jesus did not go to a closet or, or reach into the heavenly closet, grab himself a heavenly divine-fleshed garment and put it on as something that could be put on and taken off. The incarnation celebrates God becoming flesh. Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That statement made of a woman literally means to be made out of a woman. He wasn't just born out of one. But through Mary, he received his humanity. And in that birth, in that incarnation, yes, spiritual conception occurred. But he took on the seed of Abraham, according to Hebrews 2.16. Mary and her womb wasn't just an incubator or a closet for some robe-like flesh to be developed and then worn by God upon birth. But when she miraculously can see Jesus in her womb, Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. Why is this important? Again, I'm not saying that people that say robed in flesh are teaching some erroneous doctrine. But it is important to understand that there are serious false doctrines that exist that would be more comfortable with the phraseology of robed in flesh because it can help lend towards ideologies such as the heavenly or celestial flesh doctrine or divine flesh doctrine. I mean, you've got Nestorian heresies all the way back in the 4th century. There are multiple false erroneous doctrines about the incarnation, about the Son of God that would be very, very, very comfortable with a robed ideology. And that is why I say we need to be very careful when we talk about the manifestation of God in Jesus Christ. 
he became flesh. Now, this is important because to robe something is to conceal something. And this is really where the the weight of the revelation of God becoming flesh really stands. This is where the the revelation, the power of the oneness understanding of God becoming flesh really shines. When we robe something, we hide something. That word manifest is to reveal, it is to make apparent. The flesh was not a a robe that hid God. It revealed God. That is why when Thomas, not Thomas, uh, oh my goodness, I'm having a complete... uh, Philip, Philip, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father. And he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We saw, the Bible says, in the face of Jesus Christ. We saw God in the face of Jesus Christ. He was the express image of the invisible God. He was the visible image of the invisible God. We saw in the flesh, Jesus was the manifestation, the revealing. In fact, it says, I believe in John, him hath he declared. That word declared is where we get our word exegesis from. Jesus was the exegesis of the Father, the exegesis of God. And so if we're going to be theologically accurate, and again, I, I did not receive any put uh, pushback except one, I think, one pushback, and, and others that are just saying, well, I don't understand um, why this really matters. Well, I'm just, I'm just presenting to you from my theological brain, whether it's a curse or not, I'm not saying that, you know, you're, you're going to hell for saying God was robed in flesh. I'm not saying that you're trying to sow seeds of false doctrine or Nestorianism or divine flesh or celestial flesh, whatever it may be. I'm just saying that it's not theologically accurate. And I do think that it's erroneous to use the phrase robed in flesh because the Bible does not teach a robing doctrine. It teaches becoming, becoming flesh. And I, I was trying to figure out like a way to really describe um, the incarnation. And somewhere years ago, and I don't know how much I really believe this or how sound it is. I'd have to examine it more. But somebody talked about like a balloon blowing up the air in the balloon the air inside of the balloon doesn't make the air outside of the balloon cease, even though what's inside of that balloon is 100% air. The air outside does not cease to exist. And so the analogy was is God is everywhere present at the same time. God did not cease being omnipresent or God just because he was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so, again, I need to spend more time on that analogy. I think there's potential in that analogy. I don't know, maybe you listening, you have heard some analogies on this that would be helpful. Uh, leave them in the, in the comments or the notes or reach out, email, whatever it may be. But I think it's important when we talk about the incarnation with all of the doc- doctrinal 
pushbacks, resistance. You know, even here in Portland, uh, I have people that attend the church occasionally that come from a divine flesh background. And I'm being very honest with you. Some of the conversations I've had with divine flesh adherents, they do use language that would borrow from a robed uh, paradigm. They would be comfortable with that. You know, he put on this heavenly flesh. He, they put, you know, because they're so uncomfortable associating divinity with humanity and wrestling with how can he be man yet be sinless and all these things. That's, you know, that's for another time. But he was made of flesh, made of a woman, completely God, completely man. And so I believe that we need to stick to a literal reading of the Word of God, understanding that he became flesh, did not wear flesh like a coat or a robe. Now, you've got plenty of other scriptures that talks about robes, and the context of every one of those things is something that can be put on temporarily, taken off whenever you want to, but no, there's some powerful things there. Um, to kind of close this, we just had uh, Brother uh, Jeremy Painter with us on our midweek service. We try to have him every year. To me, he's one of the most theologically brilliant men in Pentecost. And he made a statement about Hebrews 11 and 2, where it, 11, 1 and 2, where it talks about in sundry times, God, or, or in, in, in past times God spoke to us in various manners and means. And in verse number two, it talks about he hath now spoken to us by his son. That word his does not appear in the original. And any time that that, that that occurs, a lot of times in text, especially in major settings, what's what a Greek listener would understand is that when it says he has spoken by son, they would they would hear the N-E-S-S that's being placed on the end of son. In other words, now he is speaking to us by his sonness. Not necessarily pointing to a person, but a quality like highness or deepness. In other words, in the past we had the language of the Father, the Creator. But now we can understand God as the Father because we now have him speaking to us through the Son or the quality of being a Son. And I think that plays a role in all of this. And I would, I would just say, go listen to it. Go find it. It's a very powerful lesson. But again, I hope this has helped. I hope that there's some clarity with this. I think that we just need to be consistent in how we talk about important doctrines such as this. He became flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. The flesh did not hide God. It revealed God. And so I think it's theologically accurate to specify that he was God became flesh. The Word became flesh. Okay, what do you think? Weigh in. Go check out the website, alphatau.net. Check out all the articles written. Going to be uploading some media soon. 
A lot of good stuff coming. All right. Thank you for listening.